The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. Good morning. It's so good to be with you this morning and open the Word of God together during our time. If you're a visitor with us, we want to welcome you, and we just trust that you will be challenged and encouraged during your time here. During the early years of the Revolutionary War, Benedict Arnold was the best battlefield general that the esteemed General George Washington had. Benedict fought and led his men with distinction and was revered by many for his strategic leadership in a number of battles with the British. But all of that changed in 1780 when it was discovered that he was a traitorous spy for the British and was about to surrender his strategic fort at West Point in an attempt to help the British conquer the colonial American army. His plot was exposed, he was unsuccessful, and he became perhaps the most infamous traitor in American history. But why did he do it? It really came down to three things historically when you read this. He felt he did not get the credit that he deserved for his victories. He had not received the promotion that he was entitled to and to owe. The British were also going to throw in a small gift of 20,000 pounds, the equivalent of $3 million today. They were also going to give him the position that he wanted if he was successful. So this morning's text we're going to read in a moment is about Judas. And Judas is synonymous with betrayal. Who here this morning, and you don't have to raise your hands, but who here this morning has ever experienced betrayal by someone close to you? No doubt many of us, maybe most, have been touched, have been wounded at some point by betrayal on some level. There's different types of betrayal. Sometimes it can be by a spouse, adultery, abandonment, divorce. Those are some of the deepest wounds. Parent, some of you may have been abandoned, neglected, or abused by a parent. That's betrayal on the deepest level. Employee, a coworker, or a boss within your employment, betrayal can happen. And as Jesus experienced in this text, a close friend. It cuts deep. Mark 14, 10 through 21, we're going to read the text and it'll be on the screen. This is where we are. We're working our way through the book of Mark. And this is the text that we've come to today. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, one of the twelve disciples, went to the chief priests in order to betray him, Jesus, to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him talking about Jesus. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepare for us. 
And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Let's pray together. Father, as we open this text and expound on it, Lord, in our time together, Lord, I pray that you would speak what each one of us need to hear. Lord, I'm simply a vessel, a conduit. God, it's your word, and I thank you that you have anointed your word, God. And that, Lord, when your word goes out, it doesn't return void. It'll accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it. And so, God, today, let us have ears to hear, mine included, Lord, what you are saying. Hearts to embrace the truth you give through your word. And Holy Spirit, give us the power to change, to be your followers, to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I want to ask this question. Who was Judas? Many of you may have grown up in church or been in a church for some time, and so you've heard about him in the past, maybe going all the way back to Sunday school. Some of you may not have. You may just know from a cultural reference, he's a Judas, she's a Judas, from this, this sense of betrayal. And you've heard the stories loosely. Judas was handpicked by Jesus to be on the inner circle, one of his 12 disciples. You can find that selection in Luke chapter 6. We're not going to be turning to text, but I will be referencing them. Feel free to write them down on the notes you may have picked up on the way in if you want to look them up later. He listened to Jesus teach night and day for three and a half years. Judas likely cast out demons, healed people, and preached. This comes from Matthew 10, where Jesus sent out the 12. It says he sent them out with the authority and ability to perform miracles, to preach, repent, right? And, to, and they came back saying, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. And so they had experienced miraculous power that Jesus had given them as they went out. And there's another occasion in Luke chapter 10 where the 72 go out. And so on these occasions, it's very likely, very possible that Judas actually was part of that as one of his disciples. He took care of the money for Jesus, but he would also steal from it. And that's found in John chapter 12, verse 6. Mark actually read that. Pastor Mark read that in his message last week. He chose to betray Jesus to his enemies for money, as we just read in Mark chapter 14, and, and it's uh, also talked about in other accounts of the Gospels. He was possessed by Satan himself during his act of betrayal. That's found in Luke chapter 22 and John 13. It's actually the only instance, to my knowledge, where a person is actually possessed by Satan himself. So we're going to actually read this one other passage found in John chapter 13. I think it gives us some interesting insights into Judas. 1321, I believe it'll be on the screen as well. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, that was John, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him, hey, ask Jesus who who he's talking about. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he, Judas, had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one knew at the table why he'd said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. There was more than one kind of darkness going on there with Judas. We know from the continued accounts that ultimately he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. He knew that Jesus was going to his favorite place for prayer within that locale, that area, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he found Jesus there and he had told the soldiers and Jewish leaders that he was with that he was going to kiss the one that they were supposed to arrest. After Jesus was condemned to die, Judas regretted what he did and he returned the money. And in a final act... He hung himself from a tree off the edge of a cliff. So that's Judas. Today we're going to consider three things. Number one, why did he do it? Why did he betray Jesus? Number two, what can we learn from this? And number three, how should we respond? So first of all, why did he do it? Why did Judas, this close and intimate follower of Jesus, this person trusted so much that he was in charge of the money, a close follower of Jesus on the inner circle, why would he betray his master, his rabbi? The Bible, I want to make clear, first of all, the Bible does not directly give us reasons, okay? It doesn't directly. It's it's more indirect. It gives us clues, and that's what we're going to look at this morning as we consider why would he do this. Judas was all about money and personal gain. In John chapter 12, he he would steal what he wanted, and the breaking point of, for Judas seems to be in two different accounts, right before it says he went to the Jewish leaders to find a way to betray Jesus, right before he did that, in two different occasions, as Pastor Mark talked about last week, there was this experience, this situation where Mary came and broke this alabaster box of ointment at Jesus' feet and anointed him. And Judas, one of the accounts, talks about how Judas, in John, it says, he was upset at this. This scandalous waste, you see, that ointment was worth a lot of money. Somewhere in the neighborhood of a year's wages, it was worth a lot of money. So imagine someone breaking a box of ointment, perfume, over somebody's feet that cost thirty, fifty, dollars $100,000, somewhat relative maybe to what a person's income was, a lot of money. And it's a scandalous waste in his eyes, but the real underlying motivation for his being upset at this, it says, was not that he really cared for the poor, because what he said was, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? Well, he would have been the one that received the money. He was in charge of the money, right? And so he would have had that money, and with that large amount of money, imagine what he could have siphoned out for himself, because that's what he was doing. So it exposes his real motivation, 
Judas found a way to benefit from the power of proximity to Jesus. But towards the end of Jesus' ministry, that started to backfire. Early on, Jesus was all the rave. You read accounts where he multiplies food for 5,000 people, right? He goes around healing people, and there was lines of people waiting to be healed by Jesus. And everywhere they go, it's Jesus, 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 right? And they at one point wanted to make him king. Imagine how Judas felt this proximity to the one who's going to be king. Maybe he as the, the treasurer, essentially, for Jesus. Imagine the resources he would have. So no doubt, for many months and years as he followed Jesus, he had these dreams of grandeur. But towards the end of Jesus' ministry, in all of the gospel accounts, you can see this, this increasing clash with the Jewish leaders, where they became jealous of the power Jesus had and the words he spoke, because he continuously confronted them with both their hypocrisy and the representation they gave of God. The injustice that was all over the society. And they felt he was a threat to their power. And so this began to create a divide. And we know from other accounts the Jewish leaders were already seeking a way to find a way to bring an end to Jesus. So his motivation for betrayal was likely the same as his original motivation to follow Jesus. That's what I want you to see. It was likely the same underlying motivation. I don't think there was a radical shift in Judas. He was always motivated by power, money, and fame. And the same access he had to that by joining Jesus' inner circle, he now thought he would regain by siding with the winning side, those in power. So what can we learn from this? Number one, Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed. And I want to talk to you this morning for a moment to to those of you that have experienced betrayal, maybe even recently, and there's still unhealed wounds, hurts, and pain, even when you think about it. You carry that with you. The first question that often haunts us is, Was this my fault? Was this my fault? And of course we can make decisions that lead us down a road to where things happen, right? But we see even in Jesus' ministry, his life, that he was betrayed. And frankly, friends, it doesn't always make sense. Why would Judas do this? It doesn't really make sense. And so in your life, you may never understand why you were betrayed. And it certainly doesn't help to kind of grovel in this place of what could have I done different? What could have I done better? It's also important to recognize sometimes betrayal is demonic. It means that sometimes that person was influenced by a demonic influence to do what they, to do what they did. It happened with Jesus, with Judas. Here we see Satan entered into him. Of course it can happen today that people are demonically influenced. God will bring about his purposes even through betrayal. I'm not justifying what someone did to you. I'm not saying it was okay. We live in a sinful, broken world where evil things happen, where people are influenced through their own greed, their own desires, as well as the influence of demons and Satan himself. But God shows us again and again through Scripture that he will work through even those 
worst things that happen to us. Joseph is a great example. We don't have time to dive into that, but if you want a story that will show you how God works through betrayal, Joseph in the book of Genesis is an amazing story that shows that. And he will work even through betrayal for our good and his glory. The second thing that we can learn this morning is that Jesus loved Judas. I believe this. There's no scripture I can point to and says that clearly. But he was called to be a disciple of Jesus. He was trusted with the money. Judas had listened to all the teachings of Jesus for three and a half years. And now I want you just to imagine with me for a moment that every time Jesus talks about money, which is all over the Gospels, okay, all over, I want you to imagine that it's a secondary warning to Judas. Because wouldn't you say he's one of the inner disciples, inner circle disciples of Jesus? Wouldn't you say he's speaking to his disciples as well? These warnings were given to all that were listening to him, certainly to those in close proximity, certainly to the disciples. So in Luke 12, 15, it says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He was rebuked directly by Jesus when he missed the moment with Mary's worship. Jesus washed the feet of Judas at the Last Supper. I want you to think about that. Even knowing he was going to be betrayed, he washed his feet. Judas sat close enough to Jesus to dip his bread in the same cup as Jesus at the table. Jesus warned Judas directly. He said, woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And friends, he had not yet done what he was going to do. There was a warning there. But we'll go a little further. Even on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And I believe those words included Judas. I believe Judas had access to the same forgiveness that we do. But you see, the third thing we can learn is Judas believed a wrong, a false gospel. It was not really good news what he believed. Wrong beliefs lead to wrong behavior. Jesus said you're going to know them by their fruit. In other words, if, if the pattern of a person's life demonstrates their lack of real faith, trust in God, then they, they don't really know him in truth is what the Bible teaches us. Judas' belief in Jesus was based on how it would benefit him. He valued proximity to power, position, and status. He wanted more money. The betrayal was not poor Judas. He makes one bad decision, and then Satan takes him over. It's really just Satan. No, friends, no. There's more to it. He had been stealing from the money pot and profiting from his position all along. His motivation, again, for this betrayal was likely the same as his original motivation, the same power, fame, and money that he was getting for a, a period of time as part of that inner circle. He was losing, and now he saw a way to regain it. He was going to join the winning side. And at the heart of this false gospel is the lie of Satan that it's all about you. Just like Genesis. It's nothing new. Back to Genesis chapter 3. Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he says, do it my way. 
What God said is not really right. It's, do it my way and you're going to be like a God. You're going to have basically unlimited power, unlimited knowledge. And that was the path that Judas chose. So how should we respond this morning? Number one, I just want to, again, circle back to this topic of the wounded, those affected by betrayal. As we're talking about this and what Jesus experienced, maybe your mind is still, again, racing with these, these deep wounds of someone close to you that you trusted, that betrayed you, that chose, perhaps like Judas, position, temporal gain, money, right, pleasure, thinking they're going to be happier with this other person, whatever it is, or just chose to follow their own selfish ways. And you feel the wounds. You're left with the pieces. Hebrews 4 says, in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet, without sin, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I want you to know, brother, sister, that you're battling through this. Jesus understands. And it was his betrayal that led to the cross where through his death we now have access to forgiveness and new life in him. Yes, justice demands judgment, but we must surrender the judgment to Jesus. You know, it's said that bitterness and unforgiveness is like taking a poison pill and hoping that it hurts the other person. When we hold this stuff inside, it only hurts ourselves. Ultimately, they, like us, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so we have to trust that judgment to him. And as we embrace Jesus and his cross, and we realize that Jesus bore the, the, the punishment, the penalty for our sin, and we really, again, regain and remind ourselves of the gospel, that will give us hope in a miraculous ability to forgive, supernatural ability. I don't want to encourage you to just like grit your teeth and I'm going to forgive them. No, surrender it. Surrender it to Jesus knowing he's the ultimate judge this morning and he can give you healing and hope this morning. Secondly, how should we respond? Repentance for the betrayer. In a room this size, no doubt, someone here in the past or present has betrayed someone else. And like Judas, you may have believed the lies of Satan that somehow your betrayal would lead to your happiness, your security, your prosperity, and no doubt you are or will be let down. This morning, because of the betrayal of Jesus and his death on the cross, there is forgiveness for you if you will repent Repentance just means I'm going to turn from my own selfish way and I'm going to turn to the only one that can save me. The old hymn, well known, says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And if you are a betrayer on some level this morning, the hope is, the truth is, that you can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. 
Don't be like our first father Adam in Genesis chapter 3, covering himself and running from the presence of God, hiding in shame. That's our natural response as human beings. Shame, fear, and guilt. First Satan lies to us and says we're going to be like gods. And then he rubs our face in the dirt of what we did and he says you are now nothing and the shame, fear, and guilt haunts us and we run in fear. Don't be like Judas who as we know in the story ultimately took his own life. The path he chose didn't bring the hope and fulfillment and prosperity that he thought it would. The money lost its meaning as he watched and saw Jesus being judged and condemned to die. Not just any death, but as the worst of the worst on a cross. The type of death reserved for the worst within that time. Don't be like him running out into the dark. Run to Jesus today. If we could just have the worship team come back up on stage as we close down. Just a couple more things. The third thing, in the third way we need to respond is a reminder for all of us of the real gospel. You see, this morning, I don't want to just look at Judas. I don't want to just look at those that are betrayed, some of us in this room. I don't want to just look at those that have committed this act of betrayal to another person. See, all of us this morning have some part of Judas within us. On some level, all of us this morning, every single one, we have chosen ourself, our prosperity, our gain, our pleasure over Jesus. We've done what Judas did. We've betrayed the God who formed us and breathed life into us and gives us the ability to walk around today and breathe the clean air that he made, see the sun rise again. You see, we all have fallen short, is what the Bible says. Everyone has sinned. And this morning, we need to remember the real gospel. You see, we can enjoy and appreciate the blessings of God, and sometimes that includes promotion, health, and prosperity. But following Jesus, friends, does not guarantee that, and that is not ultimate. You see, our culture and so many of the messages out there today say, add a little bit of Jesus to your life and he'll make everything better. Friends, that's not the gospel. Jesus cares more about your eternal well-being than your temporal prosperity. This morning, don't be a fence walker. Don't be someone that dabbles in the goodness of God and says, here, I'll put one toe in. I'll put one foot on this side of the fence and I want to still kind of pursue my own way and I'll take a little bit of of this and a little bit of that and I'll just add Jesus to the life that I have and the pursuits that I have and he'll just make it better. See, sometimes we treat Jesus, we treat this relationship with God like a genie in a bottle and we just want to shake it up, right, and say our prayer and get what we want. And that is not what God intends for us. You see, from Genesis 3 onwards, we were cut off from the source of life, God himself. Jesus came to bridge that gap. He came to die the death that we deserve, to bear the wrath of God against sin so God could still be just and also the justifier, the judge and also the justifier. And that's the hope we have in Jesus this morning. He made it clear our ultimate hope and purpose is not found in this world. And our pursuit of self will only leave us empty, broken, and hopeless, just like Judas. Jesus said, come to me, 
all you who are weak and burdened down, and I will give you rest. In another place, he says that rest is for your soul. Rich or poor this morning, I want to tell you, friends, Jesus is more. The good news is there is nothing you can do to justify yourself. It's all grace. It's all grace. And the final words I want to close with for our time this morning is found in Ephesians. I want you to hear these truths this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked, following the course of this world, this way of Judas, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, just like Judas was influenced, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, worth far more than any pleasure, any prosperity, any possessions we could have in this life, friends so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you stand with me? As we conclude, there will be some people over on the side, some of the church leaders here that would love to pray with you if at any point in this message you just feel that need from being wounded, having caused wounds, or in response to the gospel, we want to invite you. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never embraced this real gospel, this grace that he extends to you, we want to invite you to come over and pray with someone this morning. Let's pray together now. Father, as we conclude with our last song, Lord, I pray for every person in this room that we would be riveted with the grace that you've demonstrated on the cross, that we would not pursue the way of the first Adam, the way of Judas, but Lord, that, that we would see our sinfulness, that we would see we have some of that within us, but that we'd cling to the cross this morning, that we would surrender all to you, that you are ultimate. Lord, rich or poor, you are more. And we thank you We thank you this morning for your grace, your mercy. In Jesus' name.